Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey Majors, thanks for tuning in. This week we're looking into the Norse Pantheon with Odin. He is one of the most complex and enigmatic figures within Norse mythology, and perhaps mythology as a whole. So, I've really dug deep, and I've broken this episode into two parts, because it's a lot. Now, I've looked at a lot of sources to piece together today's episode, some of which has come from the Icelandic Poetic Edda by Snorri Sturluson. It's a really useful source, but it's worth mentioning that it does have its limitations. It was written way after the Viking Age, which was towards 800 CE to 1066 CE. The Edda was composed around the 13th century, so obviously a little bit of time had passed. The Vikings didn't write down too much either. They passed their stories and myths down orally, and as a result, a lot has been lost. Also, Snorri, the writer, was living in a Christian world at that point, and therefore that is likely to have trickled into his work. Just a note on today's pronunciation as well. I've used some Icelandic pronunciation as best I could, (laughs) as it's the language that is closest to ancient Norse.
Odin is the head of the Norse pantheon, but also somewhat of a wandering magical shaman. Having over 200 names on account for the multifaceted roles he plays, often they are quite oppositional. King of the gods, yet has little time for law and custom. He's the patron of rulers and kings, that as well as outcasts. He resides over war, but also poetry. It's even said he only speaks in poems. He was worshipped by those seeking honour, yet he was also cursed and called out for being a trickster. Now, Odin's Norse name reveals more about his complex character. Known as Odin, the first part Oath, translates to inspiration, ecstasy, or fury. In translates to the, so his name can mean the furious one, the ecstatic one, or the inspired one. A war god, yes, but he wasn't really interested in the result of battle. It was more the ecstasy that it provided. When Odin did win a battle, it was often through devious means and broke rules around honourable combat. He gets portrayed as a benevolent old man, but he's actually a very dark god and some Norse poetry describes him as quite malicious. He's fickle, he'll grant and then take away in a second. He'd break oaths without thinking about it, a highly dishonourable thing to do within the Norse world. Yet, he was still a powerful figure to the ancient Norse, so much so that royal families actually claimed lineage from him. Kings and warriors would also be sacrificed to him by hanging, and it was an honourable thing to do. Now, Odin concerns himself heavily with the pursuit of occult knowledge. He's lived with the Sami, the indigenous peoples of large northern parts of Norway, Sweden, Finland, and of the Murmansk Oblast region in Russia. They are the oldest ethnic group in Nordic countries today, and currently their population is around 70,000. Their society and communities revolve heavily around shamanism. Throughout Norse sagas, the Samai are seen as a powerful culture and have incredibly powerful magicians and sorcerers. It's thought that through the Sami, the Norse and Germanic peoples learnt magic and shamanism. It makes sense that Odin has come into contact with them, based on this pursuit of knowledge. Now, he's a favourite of occultists, skalds, a Norse equivalent of a poet or a storyteller, and shamans. It's quite a small eclectic pool from which people are drawn to him. He wasn't really for the general public, despite being the head of the Norse pantheon. He also has a necromantic streak. He could raise and communicate with the dead. He plays a psychopomp role sometimes, guiding the dead into the underworld. And in one story, he travels to the underworld to communicate with a dead seeress. Now the Romans, when looking at other cultures, they tried to link foreign gods to their own. In the case of Odin, they linked him to Mercury, the psychobomb. This is interesting. It suggests that Odin's role around death overshadowed his other aspects, else he would have been linked to Mars, the god of war. There are several components of Odin's character that paint him as a master shaman, which I'm going to discuss throughout his mythology. I thought I'd start with the beginning, how the Norse world came to be, as well as Odin and the Norse pantheon. Now, Odin is the chief of the gods and he is responsible for giving humans life. How did this come about? Basically, the Norse creation myth begins with a gap. Now, at one end there's fire and the other end there's ice. Where they meet in the middle, droplets form. It's from these droplets that a frost ogre called Myth first appeared. 
When he sleeps, giants form from his sweat, thus forming their race. No more ice melted due to the polar opposites in the gap. A cow appeared called Adhumla, who sustained Meath, and the salt that had formed in the ice in turn sustained her. After some time of licking the ice, she actually uncovered a god called Buri, who had a son called Bor, who married Besla. Now, Besla was the daughter of a giant. Now, together, Besla and Bor have three sons. Odin was the first, Vili the second, and Vier the third. And together, they kill the frost ogre Meath. They move his body to the middle of the gap that they all occupy, and use it to create the world as we know it. The ogre's blood made lakes, rivers, and seas. His flesh became the earth, his hair the trees, and from his bones came the mountains. His teeth and broken bones made the rocks and the pebbles. They stretched out his skin to make the heavens, and under each corner they placed a dwarf named East, West, North, and South. The giant's brains were flung into the air where they created clouds, and from the end of the gap where the fire was, they took embers and placed them in the sky to illuminate the heavens and the earth. Now the sons built themselves a fortress from the frost ogre's eyebrows. This was called Midgard. They created a man and a woman from two trees. Lifeless logs at first, the brothers carved features into them. Odin bent down and breathed life into them. They opened their eyes and took their first breath. Vili gave them emotions and the ability to understand. Vier gave them speech and the five senses. The brothers dressed and named them. The man they called Ask and the woman they called Embla. It was Odin who gifted them spirit and life. In the middle of this world, Odin built Asgard, a fortress for the gods, and within this fortress was a high chair, where Odin could look down and see what everyone else was doing. Odin marries Frigg, and has a family called the Isith, or the Asa, an all-divine family. He is the father of all humans and gods, gaining him the epithet of Allfather. Now Odin's standout features are his two ravens, who keep him in the loop, his two wolves, his eight-legged horse, as well as his one eye. Let's start with the ravens. Odin is easy to identify within depictions and iconography, simply by the presence of his two pet ravens. They essentially help Odin out. Now Snorri Sturluson, a medieval Icelandic historian who I mentioned earlier, said it best when he wrote, quote, Two ravens sit on his shoulders and whisper all the news which they see and hear into his ear. They are called Hian and Mune. He sends them out in the morning to fly around the whole world, and by breakfast they are back again. Thus he finds out many new things, and this is why he is called Raven God, or Hatnaweth. Let's talk about their names, Hian and Mune, commonly translated as thought and memory, respectively. Memory isn't exactly accurate, it's more relating to desire or emotion. Now, the Norse didn't view the self as one thing, but rather made up of different components that can detach from the self given the right circumstances. How does this relate to Heenan and Muni? Well, some have theorised that the ravens are an extension of Odin's capabilities, now, in this case, the intellectual and or spiritual that travel throughout the world are personified as ravens. 
Now, Odin's link to ravens is very old and has very deep roots, thought to be relating to his link to war and battle. These two things massively feed and sustain ravens. The link to Odin and ravens was therefore natural. Interestingly, it was seen as a good omen if the ravens appeared after a sacrifice to Odin. It was seen as acceptance of the sacrifice. Odin also has two wolves, Geri and Freke, both meaning the ravenous or the greedy one. He created them both when he was wandering around the world when it was still in its infancy, and he was feeling lonely. The combination of ravens and wolves is really interesting. Biologists have recently discovered a symbiotic relationship between the two. Ravens will often travel with wolves, and when they see a large animal carcass or prey that is alive from their position in the sky, they will make a lot of noise and essentially alert and direct the wolves to the animal. And wolves have been reported of vocally responding to the crow's calls. The wolves break up the carcass, allowing the ravens to feed easily. Ravens are also hypervigilant at kill sites, warning the wolves of any incoming threats. Cute little fun fact, ravens have actually been pictured playing with wolf cubs. They will grab sticks and play tug of war with the cub and pull its tail to tease it. Scientists also think that because of their intelligence, ravens might actually develop a bond with individual wolves within the pack. With both these animals being related to Odin, were the Vikings somewhat aware of their relationship? Let's talk about Odin's eight-legged horse, Slepnir, translating to the sliding one, which he would ride on to transport himself all over the universe on countless shamanic errands. How did Odin obtain his horse? Well, Asgard didn't originally have walls, which was dangerous considering they were under constant threat of attack from the giants. So one day, a giant actually approaches the gods with a deal, saying he will build them the walls that they need within three seasons, and in payment, he wants the moon, the sun, and Freya's hand in marriage. Obviously, Freya wasn't happy with this arrangement, but Loki was on the side of the giant and an agreement was reached, but rather than three seasons, the giant only had one. It was an impossible task, and if so much as a single stone had to be laid after this time, he'd forfeit the payment. He could only have help from his stallion as well. Oaths were sworn, and the giant began working. By night, the horse would bring boulders to build the wall during the day. As time passed, the gods were a little concerned with how quickly the duo were working. The impossible was beginning to look possible. More time passed, and three days away from the close of a season, the walls were nearly finished. The gods were now scared, realising how much they stood to lose if they paid him. They could break their oath, but Thor was away, and he was their chief giant killer, who would deal with this angry giant. So fingers were pointed, and they were pointed at Loki, for supporting the giant so much and essentially creating this situation. They planned to kill him in revenge, however, he came forward and said, leave it to me and I'll fix it. Night falls, and Loki transforms himself into a beautiful mare, and appears from the forest as the giant and his stallion are pulling stones. The mare whinnies and runs off into the forest. The stallion, aroused and curious, chases after the mare and leaves the giant to pull the stones by himself. Now he tries to chase the pair, but he's quickly left behind. Now dawn comes, and he realises that there's not going to be a chance to finish the task in time, 
and he starts to get really, really angry. He's bellowing, he's stomping the ground in sheer frustration. He's going to tear the walls down, but before he does so, Thor returns. Now Thor sees trouble is about to break out, and therefore has grounds to intervene. He quickly takes out his trusty hammer and smashes the giant's skull, killing him outright. Loki, however, has been impregnated by the giant stallion, and in time gave birth to the quickest stallion in the universe, Slepnir, which was gifted to Odin. Interestingly, the fact that Slepnir translates to the sliding one, it could refer to a shaman's ability to slide into different states of mind and travel to the different worlds. Slepnir is Odin's way of transcending into trance, and it could also be seen that the horse is one of Odin's shamanic helping spirits, along with his ravens and wolves. Within a lot of shamanic cultures, drumming is a key part of entering trance. The shaman's drum is often called his horse. I wonder if there is a link to drumming with Slepnir's eight legs, with the sound they would produce while running. Folklorists and academics have proposed that the eight legs represent the legs of the pallbearers, carrying the dead to the grave. We know that Slepnir could carry its rider into the underworld, and Odin, while riding to these other worlds, appears to be sleeping or looks to be dead. It was also in this near-death state that he's able to shapeshift, another skill by shamans. Eight-legged horses also show up in other shamanic cultures throughout Central Asia, and it's also thought that Odin riding on Slepnir gave inspiration to the creation of Father Christmas. I spoke earlier about how the Samai influenced Norse society, in particular their system of spirituality, but the idea of Slepnir looks like it comes from further away. The horse, as a figure, is almost non-existent in Sami culture, and plays virtually no role in their mythology. It's thought that Slepnir entered Norse culture through the Scytho-Siberians. Idrisil, the Viking Tree of Life, also has connections to Siberian peoples, rather than that of the Sami. It's thought these peoples met within Eastern Europe and exchanged ideas. Now, Odin is also famous for his one eye, and even though he could disguise himself really well and trick a lot of mortals, he couldn't hide the distinguishing feature of his eye. No source makes clear which eye was lost, so we're left wondering. How did this come about? Well, it starts with Mimith, a very wise being who lived at the base of Idrisil and guarded a well there the waters of which were said to be very powerful and grant the drink of various magical properties. Much of Mimoth's wisdom came from these waters. Now one day, Odin shows up at the well, and he sees Mimoth drinking its waters. Mimoth asks him, what's he doing here? To which Odin replies, I have come to drink from the well. Mimoth proposes that he should give the Guardian, i.e. himself, a gift. Odin asks, well, what kind of payment do you ask for? He responds with something that holds equal or greater value to Odin. He also says that he loves wisdom, something to increase his own would be a good idea. Mimoth then says, as Odin can see far and wide, perhaps he should gift one of his eyes. Now, without question, Odin digs his fingers into one of his eye sockets and hands an eye to Mimoth who, in return, gives Odin a full drinking horn's worth of well water. Mimoth drops the eye into the well, so its inherent wisdom would seep into the waters.
This next myth is called Odroyef, the stirrer of Oith. And Oith, you might remember, is the root of Odin's Old Norse name, Odin, meaning inspiration, ecstasy, or fury. In English, the myth is called the Mead of Poetry. So, as well as the Isith or the Asa, which is one family of the gods, there's also the Vanith or the Vanir as well. These two families were huge rivals, and after a long war, they realised that they couldn't defeat each other. So, they drew up a peace treaty, and to solidify it, they all spat into a communal pot. Now, their spit mixes and ferments and creates a being. As he was a combination of all the gods, he was the wisest deity in creation. His name is Kassif, meaning fermented berry juice. He travelled around the world giving knowledge to all who needed it. Now, one day, he stumbles across the house of two dwarfs. They brought him inside and brutally murdered him. They drained him of his blood and made mead with it. Anyone who drank it would become a scholar or a poet. Now the gods realise Kvasif is missing, so they retrace his steps, and they discover that he was last sighted outside the house of the two dwarfs. So the gods go to their house and ask, where is he? And they laugh, and they say he was too smart for his own good and choked on too much wisdom. The gods close the matter, and that's that. Now, Kvasith isn't their only victim. They kill a giant by drowning him, and then his wife by dropping a large boulder on her head, and they do all this just for the fun of it. Now, they forget to kill their son, who finds out about his parents' death and flies into a fit of rage. He takes the dwarves and goes to drown them in the sea, but they plea with him and offer the magical mead that they have. Now, the giant takes them up on their offer, and they give him the mead, and off he goes with it. Now, he puts the mead into three barrels, or three vats, and places them under a mountain, and makes his daughter watch over them. Now, Odin, he's seen all this from his throne, and he thinks the mead should belong to the gods, since the blood was from one of them. And also, Odin was quite curious for the knowledge that it granted those who drank from it. So, he came up with a plan. He went to a field where nine men were working. They were cutting hay, and Odin, in disguise, asked them if they wanted their blade sharpened. They agree, and Odin produces a whetstone and sharpens their scythes. The men were amazed at how better the scythes had become, and offered to buy the whetstone. Odin said the price would be heavy, and they said that they didn't care. Odin throws the stone up into the air, and while scrambling to catch it, they all cut each other's throats, and they die in the field. Later that night, Odin knocks on the door of the farm. Now the farm belongs to the brother of the giant who has the vats of mead in the mountain. Odin asks him for lodging. The giant agrees, and over dinner, he reveals to Odin that he's worried about the farm, as all his help mysteriously died in the field today. Odin said that he would be happy to help and to do the work of the nine men, and in terms of payment, he wanted a sip of his brother's mead. The giant refused at first, saying he had no say over his brother or his mead. But Odin presses the issue, and eventually the giant agreed to Odin's terms. Odin worked on the fields over the summer and completed his task. So he went back to the giant to ask for his payment. Together, they went to the brother's house to get some of the mead. Now, when they get to the brother, he flat out refuses Odin a sip and effectively slams the door in their faces. They walk to the mountain and Odin produces an argur, 
I had to Google this. Don't know if you know, but these are like little drills that carpenters use. You use your hand to crank it round and it drills. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Um, this is a witchcraft podcast, not a DIY show. So moving swiftly on, Odin hands this, this device to the giant and basically says, get drilling. So he does, and the giant works away for quite some time, and finally says, okay, the hole is done. Now Odin, to check, blows into the hole, and rock chippings fly back into his face, suggesting that the hole isn't finished, so the giant was either lying or mistaken. Either way, suspicious Odin asks him to carry on. He does so, and a while later he once again says, hey, I'm finished. Odin checks again by blowing and the chips go through the hole and not in his face. The hole is indeed done. Suddenly, Odin transforms into a snake and slithers through the small hole. The giant, annoyed, tried to jab Odin with the Argo, but Odin knew not to trust him and knew he was dodgy and easily escaped him. Odin makes it into the cave and is met by the giant's daughter. Remember, I said she was set to guard the cave and the mead. Odin turns on his charm and completely seduces her. She is obsessed. He says, if I sleep with you for three nights, will you give me three sips of the mead? She agrees, knowing that she's betraying her father, but she's completely smitten by Odin. Now, after the three nights were up, Odin is finally allowed to drink from the barrels, but rather than three sips, he completely downs the three barrels. He transforms into an eagle and takes off out the cave back towards Asgard. Though the giant who owned the mead wasn't happy, he realises what's going on and he transforms himself into an eagle as well and gives chase to Odin. Odin manages to make it to the fortress just in time and avoids being caught by the giant. Now the other gods have laid out vats so Odin can effectively regurgitate the mead, and he does so. But in his haste, he accidentally spilt some drops onto the earth, explaining why some possess a mediocre talent in regards to the arts. For those who possess great skill and talent, it's said that they have been given a cup of this mead by Odin, who he has deemed worthy of such a gift. Notice the fact that throughout this myth he transforms himself into numerous animals. Shapeshifting is another aspect of shamanism. Now I briefly mentioned at the beginning of the episode that Odin is the patron of outcasts, which could be partly due to the fact that he himself was an outcast from his kingdom and he was made into an exile. So the gods of Asgard decided to honour Odin. They commissioned the dwarves to make a beautiful gold statue of him, and once the statue was done, it exuded Odin's power, wisdom, and depicted a strong leader in war. Odin, when he was presented with the statue, was overjoyed and placed it in the entrance to his court. But Odin's wife Frigg loved gold, and in the middle of the night, she actually had several goldsmiths steal the statue and melt it down to make jewellery for her. The next morning, when Odin learnt that the statue was missing, he boiled with anger. Upon learning what had happened, he had the goldsmiths executed by hanging. He had the statue made again and placed spells over it so that if someone touched the statue, it would cry out. Frigg was humiliated in front of the entire court of Asgard and sought revenge. She slept with the lowest servant she could find and made sure everyone knew about it and then convinced that servant to destroy the statue and hide the gold forever. Now at this point, 
the gods of Asgard start to feel indifferent towards Odin. His reputation as a capable leader had been tarnished by Frigg's infidelity, and the fact that he had used magic, which was seen as unmanly, and that that magic had then failed, this all added to his shame. They quickly decided that he wasn't fit to rule anymore, and they cast him out of Asgard. Now Odin's okay, he decides to travel around the worlds and decides he's going to grow his knowledge and meet various people from various realms. Now years pass, but one day he learns that his two brothers, Vili and Vie, have taken his position as the leader of Asgard. They split the role in two and divided all of Odin's things between them. He thought of Frigg, and he missed her deeply. He thought about his brothers ruling his kingdom, and prepared himself to take it back. With a sword in one hand and a staff in the other, he waged war on Asgard, and he single-handedly deposed his brothers and took back his throne. The gods, realising their mistake, recognised his power and welcomed him back into Asgard. This has been a bit of a groundwork episode for who Odin is. Join me next week for part two, where I'm going to go a little deeper on the analysis of Odin, as well as a few more myths, and also how you can work with him. And Majors, that's it. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path, and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me? With your support, I can dedicate more time to the mage as well. You can financially support me through Patreon, where you'll gain access to more content and connect with the mage as well community. The link for this is in the episode description. If you're not keen on pledging money for whatever reason, but you still want to support, you can follow my Instagram, at the mage as well. You could tell your friends and family about the show. You could post about the podcast. And most importantly, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is really important. It really helps because it boosts the algorithm over on Apple Podcasts. And it draws in new listeners and helps get the podcast out there. Please help me out. This is an independent podcast. It's just me researching, producing, and editing. Anything you can do will help. If you own a business and would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. The show's email is themajorswell at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. The poem this week is called The Song of Odin by Michaela Macca. I am the rider of the tree. I am the draught of poet's mead. I am the socket's empty yawn. I am hunger. Who but I will sacrifice his self to self? I am the guest you don't expect. I am the song to wake the dead. I am the tide that drowns your mind. I am a trickster. Who but I brings woe to you and wheel at once. I am the spear to find your heart. I am the wolf within the woods. I am the storm that tears apart. I am creator. Who but I gives unto dead wood breath of life. I am the counsel that brings fame. I am the sword that drinks your blood. I am a raven on a corpse. I am a gallows. Who but I brings you to death while holding you? I am the walker and the way. I am the gateway and the key. I am the rope of every thread. 
I am the end of every means. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 